come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow, what a great day to get an extra hour of sleep with somebody. Help me preach. What a day to be alive. What a day to be alive. Man, you know what I love about this day is just the fact that like, let me ask you a question. How many of us went to bed at the regular time last night? Let me just see a show of hands. How, okay. How many of you went, man, I get an extra hour. I'm staying up later. It's so fascinating. It's a personality study in itself. I love it. It is a great, great day to be alive in Austin, Texas. Some of you, some of you may be old enough to remember a time when radio was fun. Some of you have had the joy in life of calling into your local radio station, requesting a song, and then sitting beside your boombox waiting for it, and then when it comes on, hitting record on the cassette player so that you could have it later on. You just dated yourself, Hoss. <laughs> I, I still remember, like, I remember driving around Houston with my dad in his 1975 Diarrhea Brown Comet, <laughs> listening to the radio, which was usually tuned to Kick FM, K-I-K-K, 96 FM, Houston's country music radio. But every now and then, when the timing was just right, I still remember being in the car with my dad and hearing Paul Harvey's the rest of the story. Now, if you've never heard of Paul Harvey or the rest of the story, just think of it as like about a, a three-minute podcast that he did every single workday. What he would do is he would start to tell a story, and he'd start by giving you information that you had never heard of. It was just kind of out of left field, but he told it in a way that you kind of perked up and listened because you knew that he was setting you up for a big payoff at the end. He was going to take this unknown information and somehow tie it to a person or a historical event that was common knowledge. You just didn't know how it became common knowledge. He, he was a master storyteller. He could, he could weave a web of intrigue so fast, so fascinating that like three sentences in, you were hooked. And, and so I want to share with you just one example. So what I want you to do is just kind of just relax and go with me in your imagination for a second, okay? Go with me in your imagination. Let's say that you're in your grandmother's kitchen, and she's fixing dinner, fried chicken and some kind of cobbler for dessert. And while she's fixing dinner, on the radio, you hear this. And now, the rest of the story. In the recording business, the seasons come at you months in advance. So here we have this famous singer sitting in his Hollywood home in the dead of summer, plowing through stacks of sheet music and demo recordings, which have been sent to him by hopeful songwriters. And the musical theme for the singer's summertime consideration is Christmas. Scores of scores of Christmas songs lay before him, most all of which ranged from unacceptable to unsingable. 
There were, however, three songs which the singer found rather charming. There was one tune entitled, He's a Chubby Little Fellow, referring, of course, to old St. Nick. There was a second Santa song, conspicuously called Santa, Santa, Santa. The third number, which the recording artist especially liked, was called, If It Doesn't Snow on Christmas. So there was no question the singer wanted to record and release all three of these songs in time for the winter holidays, hoping to make a hit of at least one. But this is the rest of the story. There was a problem. The fourth side. Two of the songs would fill out one record, sides A and B, but the third song needed a flip side, and quite frankly, none of the other songs the singer had evaluated was appealing at all. Well, it happens that a young unknown New York songwriter had sent a demo recording to the singer's home, and the singer's wife heard that, and she adored it. In fact, over her husband's rather extreme objections, she convinced him to record that number, to use it as the fourth side, and he did. All four new Christmas songs were to be cut the same day. The recording studio set aside three hours for the task. The union was very strict about time limitations, but as the recording session commenced, so did the difficulties, technical problems, arguments with the producer. Before anybody realized what had happened, two hours and 50 minutes had passed, the fourth side had not yet been recorded. The arranger began to panic. Now there's less than 10 minutes left in this session, but it's only that one dumb fourth side song anyway, he said, let's just throw it in and let it go. And that's what they did. I mean, literally, the singer ran to the microphone, music up, one take, no rehearsal, one take, and then the engineer's voice boomed over the studio speaker, that's it, wrap it up, and the recording session went dark. Forty Christmases ago. And since then, the fourth side that only a singer's wife could love has been loved by four decades of children large and small. It sold two and a half million records the first year. It passed the 10 million mark more than 10 years ago. I mean that one record which was done in one take in 1948. The Johnny Marks classic has since been sung by more than 400 artists in virtually every language, including Chinese. It sold well over 100 million copies. That first recording alone is the second biggest seller of all time. It's second only to Bing Crosby's White Christmas. And now we learn that Bing Crosby and other major recording artists had been offered that song first, but the only one who did not turn it down was a lady named Ina. Ina Autry, the wife of Jean Autry. And she made her cowboy star husband record it because she was touched by the story of the ugly duckling in Santa's stable, a lonesome little red-nosed reindeer named Rudolph. And now you know the rest of the story. Is that amazing? He did that every day. And what... A voice. I'll be honest with you. As a pastor, as I sit there listening to Paul Harvey speak, I, I have to. I struggle with the sin of coveting. Those pipes, man. The rest of the story. It's great. On his weekend broadcast, he would conclude, but like this, he would go, "Good day." That was. How, he just had these pipes, man. Was, that's my own little problem to work through. It's not your problem. But the rest of the story. Did you know that the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ has a rest 
of the story, that it is one of the hallmarks of following Christ, of living in a relationship with him, that it settles the soul. It, it calms the spirit like nothing else in the world can even approach. The gospel rest of the story is embedded in God's command, in his invitation for us, you and me, to find our rest, our peace, our comfort in him and him alone. Now, thankfully, many times he uses different channels to convey his rest and his comfort and his peace. But it is always in him that we find our rest. This, this is one of the things that Jesus spoke to over and over and over again. And, and I think that this series we're beginning today, the rest of the story, is the perfect follow-up to where we had been over the last few weeks. As we were talking about faith works and how our faith in Christ works out in the world, I think the rest of the story will kind of hopefully and prayerfully bring us into a, a healthy, God-honoring tension between our need to work and our need to rest. Our need to rest. I want you to look at your neighbor and with a smile on your face, say to them very peacefully, get your rest on. Did that, that felt good just to say it to somebody, didn't it? I mean, I, I think so many times we get so wrapped up, so engulfed in the busyness of day-to-day -day life. And, and I just have to tell you right here at the beginning, I, I've got a unique challenge in preaching this series. The challenge is this. God is working on me in such a profound way, it is hard for me to think about you when I'm, pre when I'm preparing. Like, there's so much that, that I'm just learning and experiencing that I'm like, I need to be doing better at this. I, I need this. That's not why we're doing this. I just thought I'd share that little dynamic with you as you pray for me throughout the week, which I hope and pray you do. But that's the reality of life where we live. It's almost like God knew that we would struggle with this ever since Genesis chapter 3. Ever since sin entered the picture, humanity has struggled with resting in a relationship with God. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew 11, Jesus frames this so directly and, by the way, so perfectly. It's such a powerful, powerful invitation that God extends to us through his son, Jesus. I'm in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Man, just just reading those words of Jesus's, doesn't that just kind of feel like a breath of fresh air? I remember years ago, our family went to Disney World for the first time, and right after, we had gotten there right after they had opened up this ride called Soaring. Have you ever ridden Soaring? Have you ever been to Disney World and mortgaged your house? You, you know what this ride is like. You, you, it's, it's, you, you sit in a, in a chair, and it lifts you up while an IMAX movie plays, and you are soaring, but the sensations that they give you are unbelievable as you're soaring over the Arctic tundra. You feel cold air blowing in your face. And it's, it's this feeling, I think, when you just read this invitation of Jesus, it's this sense of just fresh air. Just, just come to him, anyone who is weary and burdened. Anyone who is weary and burdened. I've learned something in the last few years that I, I didn't realize before. Everyone, everyone is carrying some type of burden. Everyone walking the face of this earth is carrying some kind of a a burden, facing or dealing with some kind of a trauma that they have been through, that they are going through. And what I've learned is that this is not the exception. It is the rule. A lot of times we think when we're going through a trauma or going through a challenge that we're the only ones that it's ever happened to. When in reality, everyone is carrying something. It may be a burden from your childhood. It may be a challenge you're going through right now. But everyone is facing a burden. And so when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are burdened, he's inviting you, he's inviting me to find our rest from our burden in him. But I've also noticed that some people are bearing their burden better than others. As a matter of fact, there are times in my life where I have borne the burden better than at other times. And there, there are times when you just, life will drive you to your knees. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in the house? I'm just curious if you're going to leave your pastor hanging on Time Change Sunday. If it hasn't, you're young. And, and that's not a, that, 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 you may be thinking, well, I was kind of looking for a little more encouragement when I came to church today, preacher. But hopefully you find encouragement in the fact that you're not alone. That's that's part of the reality of living in a fallen world. Some people, though, bear that burden better because they have learned, they have discovered, they've been taught how to carry their burden in concert with Christ. Uh, Now, think about this. Compare and contrast Jesus' words. Come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Compare and contrast that with the world's mantra. Rise and grind. Grind more, shine harder. 
The dream is free, but the hustle is sold separately. <laughs> right? You, you can get all this stuff on Etsy, by the way. Put it up in your cubicle, knock yourself out. But Jesus has something better for us. He, he says, I, I, I want to help you. I, I want to help you. As a matter of fact, the Mayo Clinic, the Mayo Clinic has listed symptoms of anxiety. Symptoms of anxiety that become physical problems. Let's just take a look at the list real quick. Go ahead and put them up there on the, on the screen for me. Mayo Clinic, depression. Next, disillusionment, irritability, self-medication. Self-medication, by the way, can be any, it could be alcohol, it could be pornography, any kind of escape mechanism. Insomnia, digestive problems, headaches and chronic pain, isolation, both social and emotional and spiritual, problems functioning at work or school, and thoughts of self-harm. Now, that's a... That's a list of anxiety symptoms that the Mayo Clinic has identified. I, I think it kind of looks like life in the 21st century. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't check at least one of those boxes from time to time. Some of you may be thinking, I bat a thousand, Mac. I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and I think we, we have to be able to laugh, but in a, in a laugh to keep from crying kind of way. It's, it's not... It's not funny. It's not anything that we would make light of. It's just the reality. Anytime we look to anything other than Christ, our souls will be unsettled. Our spirits will be uncalmed. And so what I want to do is really, really drill down into Jesus's invitation, really and truly get down into what, what Jesus is getting at. To, to better describe the world that we live in, when I was in high school, graduating in 1985, Houston Madison High, the home of Vince Young, by the way, had a basketball team that went 40 and 0. They didn't lose a game all year. They were unbelievable, unbelievable. Five different players went on to play college basketball off of this high school team. They were nuts. They had a play off of the opening tip. The center would jump and tip it to either the left or the right. And whoever didn't get the tip off, that other player began streaking down the court towards the basket, and the player who did receive the tip off would launch an alley-oop pass for a dunk off of the opening tip off. It was a backbreaker, 40 and 0. Madison happened to be in our school's district, and we gave them two of those 40. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I remember playing Madison High School that year. It was, like, it was like watching a track meet while running in a track meet. I thought about that when I thought about life in 2021. Anybody else ever feel like you're watching a track meet when you're running in the track meet and it just happens to be the track meet is your life? I, I don't think 
That's what we were created for. I, I don't think that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Now remember, we've already established the fact that he calls us to work and to fulfill the calling on our lives. That's, that's a given. We're not talking about just kind of chillaxing and hanging out, but we're talking about finding rest for our souls in our relationship with Christ. It's interesting, when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you, this was a phrase that would have been very familiar to his original audience because in that day and age, the rabbis who populated Israel all had a specific way of teaching. And it was referred to as that particular rabbi's yoke. Now, a, a yoke in this context was just a rabbi's interpretation of Torah, of, of taking the law of God and looking at how to live that out. That's, that's what Jesus meant when he was talking about a yoke. But it's interesting that he would say, take my yoke upon you and find rest for your souls. Because think about a yoke. When you yoke two oxen together, you're yoking oxen together to work, for labor, to plow a field, to carry a burden or a load. And that was the picture behind this idea of a rabbi's yoke, that a rabbi's students, a rabbi's disciples would come alongside the rabbi and live life with the rabbi and learn how to work in unison and harmony with the rabbi. And so Jesus is inviting us to work and to live in union and in harmony with him, yoked together with him. That, that's where we get the term, you know, have you ever seen like somebody who's really just like ripped muscularly besides me? Have you ever seen somebody like they're just, and they're just like, man, that dude's yoked. That means that they've got traps. They're yoked. Tell your neighbor right now, get yoked. You should have said that a little more enthusiastically. That's not the same as get your rest on. It's like get yoked. Get yoked. So this yoke is the way the rabbi teaches his students, his followers, to live out the word of God. And so if you take that and then play it out, and examine what Jesus actually said, you see two things here that I think are really, really significant. Jesus is inviting us into this process, this yoking with him. He says, number one, walk with me. Walk with Jesus. What does he He says, come to me. He's inviting you. He invites me into this relationship. Come to me. The clear implication being that we don't start out with him. We, we don't start out in life walking with Jesus. Matter of fact, we start out in life walking away from, we start out born into human depravity, into sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I was born with this predisposition. You were born with this predisposition. It's just a part of the human condition. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Come to me. Walk with Jesus. That means that every single 
part of your life. As my wife Julie likes to say, every nook and cranny, every crack and crevice of your life is permeated by the presence of Jesus. There's nothing in life that is off limits to him. When you accept this invitation to come to him, you walk with him. Every decision, every relationship, every job, every meeting, all of it is all about him. He is our rabbi, our teacher, showing us how to bear the weight of life. And he says, he says come to me. Just, just walk with me. Now, I do understand if you've never done this, if you've never been exposed to it, that can seem a little um, churchy. Can I use that word? It seems a little like, okay, you're a preacher. You say walk with Jesus. But what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> the Bible says, in all things give thanks. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. That means that, that you're always living in an awareness of the presence of Jesus with you. He's, he's always there. And the only way that you do that is you cultivate that awareness. You have to choose to think about it. You have to choose to be mindful of the presence of God at every moment of every day. Now, I thought about this too because there are times, maybe, maybe when you're facing a temptation, when you're facing a temptation that it's kind of like maybe, maybe Jesus could take a back seat. If I could just kind of like have a moment. You ever do that with your spouse? I need a moment. Well, sometimes don't we try to do that with God? We try to like kind of keep him at arm's length a little bit so we can do just for a minute what we, what we want to do. Never forget that sin is another word for brokenness. Sin is brokenness. And so temptation is always an invitation to brokenness. It's an invitation to participate in the brokenness of humanity, in the brokenness of life lived apart from God. That helps me stay away from temptation. That helps me resist temptation. When I remember that it's brokenness, and I remember God is all, there's nowhere that God isn't. He's omnipresent, all present, everywhere, all the time. And, and when I remember that, then I, I remember I'm yoked with him. I'm, I'm walking with him in everything I do. But walking with him is just the first step. He also says that we are to walk like him. Walk with Jesus, but also walk like Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. That means that we live life the way Jesus lived life. That means that Whatever we're doing in this life, whatever your particular calling may be in life, your, your objective is always to do it as though Jesus is doing it through you. It's not, a, it's not an abandonment of your identity. It's a fulfillment of your identity. And, and you're, you're living the life you were created to live. You're living it to the full when you walk like Jesus. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases this particular passage. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Watch how Peterson, this is brilliant. 
This is how he paraphrases the words of Jesus. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, watch this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Whew. That's a powerful phrase. You know, genuine grace is never forced. You don't you force grace. You, you just give grace. God gives grace. He calls us to live in that grace, and it's, it's an unforced rhythm of grace. One of the things that we're going to look at throughout this series is this idea of rhythm. There are times of high levels of activity, always followed by high levels of rest. Jesus himself did this. Jesus would feed 5,000. And then he would go alone to a quiet place to pray. He would heal. He would preach. And then he would go up on the mountainside in the dark of the morning to be alone with God. These unforced rhythms of grace. We learn to walk with Jesus. We learn to walk like Jesus. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Come to me, all who are heavily burdened. Jesus says, and he will give you rest. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. The Bible is clear that this invitation has been extended. The invitation from God's heart to yours. That's, that's what the incarnation is all about. That's what Jesus becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us was all about. It's the invitation. But it's an invitation that calls for a response. A decision to choose to walk with Jesus. To live life in relationship with him. Confessing your sins claiming, accepting personally and definitively his grace and forgiveness and following him, yoked together with him. I wonder today if, if you've never done that, if maybe this isn't the moment for that to happen. Maybe God has used something in this service, something in this message to stir something in your heart in a good way, to stir something up that only he can settle. If that's you, we want to invite you to pray just silently right where you're sitting. You may be online. You may be here in the room. But if that's you, then we invite you just to pray. Respond to the prompting of God and just Pray silently, Jesus, I need you.
I confess my sin to you. I do claim and accept your forgiveness, your grace. And because of your grace, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I want to be yoked with you. And I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. Because this is sacred ground. When God moves in one person's life like that, the Bible says that all of heaven celebrates. And it means that we, the the church, the family of faith, have an opportunity and a responsibility to help with with what's next. And so there are a couple of ways that we do that around here. One is, I want to ask you if you would, just let us know that God did that. If you're in the room, you can just stop on your way out at the hub and just let somebody know there very briefly, but definitively, I just prayed that prayer at the end of the service. All that will do is start a conversation that proceeds at whatever pace works for you to help with what's next. If you're online, you can indicate there on, there's a place there, this is the hub. You you can indicate, I committed my life to Christ today. But I wanna ask you if you would, also as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer to begin walking with Christ, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high in the air for a second. Your hand in the air is just a physical statement of the spiritual commitment you just made. And so as a church, we join with all of heaven in celebrating that with you. And as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.